Hey gamers, this is Joe from What I'm Playing Now. I have episode 212 of the podcast that was actually recorded a couple of weeks ago on July 19th of 2018. I actually interviewed Mark Spector from the Grand Gamers Guild. We discussed a lot of things board games, all the different board games that Grand Gamers Guild has, as well as their new and up-and-coming Kickstarter that is hitting Kickstarter this week called The Artemis Project. Definitely check that one out and hope you enjoy the interview. This is Joe from What I'm Playing Now, and we are back with another episode of the What I'm Playing Now podcast. This week, we have another interview for you. I am here with Mark Spector. He is from the Grand Gamers Guild. Mark, how are you doing this evening? I am fantastic. Just had an amazing dinner with my family. Super excited to sit down and have an awesome gaming conversation. Cool. Where, Where do we go to eat for dinner? What do we have? Well, we have a local Italian restaurant called Amore. Probably the uh, it's a mom and pop place. They have amazing everything. Their uh, arancini is to die for. And um, tonight I had a steak. Usually I have what um, is referred to as a pizza, which is a pizza, but it's no crust. It's a sausage meatball rolled out, and that's the crust. And it is the most ridiculously decadent possibly had. Have. You, so, you know that sounds a little bit better than the salad I had for dinner. <laughs> yeah, well, when you uh, get to Grand Rapids, we will go to Amore and we will enjoy pizza together. Oh, I, I have no God. problem with that. I'm up for pizza almost any time. That sounds incredible. Yeah, our, I think my cheat day is coming up here. We've been trying to watching watch what we're eating and stuff lately because for the past month we've been horrible. After after Origins, it all just went downhill. We, I hear you, man. Convention season is a dangerous we, time. We were, we were just in vacation mode, and it just kept on going. It did not end. And I looked at it's my very wife. Very difficult and I was to maintain like, discipline. I go, we need to, we need to pull back here a little bit. I go, the things are going bad. All right, well, you did not, it tonight, one meal at a time. Yep, that's that's right, that's right, that's the way we do it. So. But we're not here to talk about food because I'm going to get nope. hungry again, and then we're going to have to stop the podcast. I'm going to have to go get something downstairs. <laughs> and I do have a frozen pizza in the oven, but or in the in the in the freezer, I mean. But it probably is, doesn't sound anywhere near as good as what you had. But um, Grand Gamers Guild, how long have you guys been around? And um, when did you guys start? How did you guys start? Let's get a little history sure. with the Grand Gamers Guild. So um, we officially became a business in January of 2016. Okay. Um, I had been pondering becoming a publisher for a number of months, and I had dabbled in, in the gaming in a few different ways, like many people, doing a lot of different things. I first attended my, uh, my giant gaming convention in 2005. That was Origins, my very first Origins, and I have been wow. to every subsequent Origins, so it puts me like at 13 or 14 years going. Nice. Pretty excited about that. Um, and eventually, I started volunteering for the convention. Then I started GMing. Very first, uh, my very first game I ever ran was in around 2010 when Alien Frontiers hit the scene, and it was crazy popular. And I actually ran every day at Origins, twice a day, four games simultaneously. And Alien Frontiers was popular. I had all those seats filled every single time. It was really, really cool. Um. After that, uh, after becoming a GM, I actually decided to um, have a, a team of game masters, and I still run that called the Grand Gaming Academy. We'll be, we've been at Origins, we're going to be at Gen Con, and um, a convention, I co-founded a convention in Grand Rapids called Grand Con that I'm no longer a part of, and then I transitioned into publishing. So I have uh, dabbled in a number of different roles, like I said, like many people, Um First game was Unreal Estate, our flagship title, designed by Jason Slingerland with art by Corinne Roberts. And that kickstarted in June of 2016 and officially released uh, to the public in June of 2017 at Origins. So, yeah, yeah, just got to try to keep the timeline straight there. (laughs) We also, um, yeah, it gets confusing. They all become a giant blur. Uh, We also simultaneously published Stroop. Right. In a uh, in a traditional way, that is to say, we took our money and we printed it. Uh, then we kickstarted Pocket Ops, and now we're about to uh, kickstart our next project called the Artemis Project. Nice. 
and we know that was probably a little more than you asked, but no, there is no, the whole actually, actually, I'm looking at the questions I have here in front of me, and you kind of just knocked out a couple of them. So I'm like, okay, now I got to come up with some more here because he just knocked. Oh, out that, I can always extrapolate. I, I'm a big <laughs> mouth. I like the ball, but that's that's fine. That's fine. You were like you were reading my mind as far as what I was thinking. Um, <laughs> who came up with the name, and how did you come up with the name Grand Gamers Guild? Where where sure. did, where did the evolution of the name come from? I guess absolutely. So. I, um, right after college, I got married, my wife and I, for, uh, she had an internship with the European Parliament, and I was a house husband, and it was a truly amazing time. I watched a lot of British television. I learned how to stuff a chicken breast. Um, it, it was, I would go back to that. If I had a time machine, only a, a golden age, uh, an island in time. But, um, so in Brussels, like many old European cities, they have a, um, they have a, a, a city a city center called the Grand Place. Okay. And their Grand Place, the perimeter of it, is all these really old guild houses. And so um, Grand all speaks to Grand Rapids, basically, headquartered in Grand Rapids. Um, gamers, obviously. But the guild part of it comes from that experience in Belgium, or in Brussels, with all those um, guild houses and the notion of a guild always represents to me the idea of that when you get into the guild, when you get behind the door, you are privy to knowledge and secrets and experiences that you don't get when you're not part of the membership. Yeah. And so while it's pretty rare for gamers to follow a company, who knows, maybe one day we can help cultivate that kind of following. But the idea is in one of our little catchphrases that we use is unlock the secrets. So mm-hmm. the Come a part of the secrets, enjoy our games. And one of the hashtags I um, use, but not often enough, is game night go go to tiny little pocket ops to small Unreal Estate and Stroop to now midsize Artemis Project and Endangered. Um, We've always wanted to cast a very wide net. So the idea is we want to be the kind of company that you could spend the entire night with our games from filler to to end of night raucous party style fun craziness that's the kind of uh i have so does does that actually bring any challenges because i know sometimes publishers like to focus on a particular maybe theme i don't, I don't know if i want to say theme maybe a particular type of you know, wait, I guess we could say sometimes companies will be later games. Sometimes they'll concentrate on meeting names. Sometimes they'll just do, you know, when you look at the splatters and stuff, you're looking at heavier games. Does that actually bring a challenge to publishing when you're kind of casting such a broad net and looking at so probably a, a much wider audience than some other publishers are actually looking at? Yeah. You know, I look at when I started this, uh, I kind of looked at who I wanted to be. Um, huge respect for Stephen Bonacore of Stronghold Games. Mm-hmm. I have huge respect for Michael Mendez and the TMG. Yep. Um, I look at how they position themselves in the market, and I think you probably can categorize them. I'm not going to put out any labels, but I also <laughs> think that if you look at the spectrum of their product, have games that no matter almost what level of the industry. I'm sorry, nothing industry is not the right word. No matter what level of gaming engagement you want to play. Right. Um, I mean, Stronghold has games like Diamonds and Little Devils, and TMG has things like Dairyman that just came out. Right. Um, And then on the other end of the spectrum, you know, Stronghold has Kanban and uh, CO2, and TMG has Belfort, one of their older titles, one of my favorite games. They're putting out the 10th anniversary edition of Homesteaders, which is an intricate and an intense game um, that, you know, easily plays 90 minutes plus. Um, so I think I can answer your question better if we were talking together 10 years from now and I was able yeah. to look back, back and say, was this a challenge? Um, I've definitely given a lot of thought to the idea that my first ones were all small games. And there, right now there is a big question mark. The audience that I've called cultivated will they follow me to my next project you know i keep i just realized i've forgotten to mention endeavor which is a reprint that i co-published um with burnt island games uh that game was extremely successful 
it had a following from its original printing back in 2009, and there were a right. lot of people clamoring for a reprint. So as we embark on our next um, you know, published title, which is definitely a departure in terms of duration, in terms of game weight, from anything we've done before, I do ask myself, did I, did I misstep by making all my first games smaller games? And will the audience follow? Yeah. Right now, you know, we're working hard to prepare an amazing campaign, but, you know, I'm crossing my fingers and hoping the answer is yes. Well, considering, you know, even even though Endeavor did have that, you know, already uh, the audience already there from the 2009 game, mm-hmm. I think you guys have taken Endeavor and and polished it nicely. I mean, you showed it to us at um, at Origins, and I will say what we saw looked spectacular. What we played was a hell of a lot of fun. We can't wait to get our hands on it and actually do a playthrough video for it. Um, mm-hmm. So we're really looking forward to it. But what made you guys look to republish Endeavor? How did you guys even find Endeavor? Like, it, was it a game? Was it a favorite game of yours? No, actually, I have to give all credit to my uh, good friend and my sister in gaming, Helena Capel. Um, so you've asked kind of a bigger question than what you realize, because it's actually kind of, <laughs> kind of this very intricate mishmash together story. So, all right. Way back uh, uh, three ancient history and gaming times, um, I had approached Josh Capel to be a part of uh, the convention that I was a part of, Grand Con. Right. And... That relationship unfolded into uh, both a, a business relationship, but then uh, more importantly, a friendship. Um, Josh actually currently serves as my um, uh, art director, lead developer, and graphic designer for my company. Now, Josh is Helena's husband, and Helena had been working at publishing Kids Table Board Gaming, okay, mm-hmm. um, and getting that element of her her gaming identity up and running. But to kind of bring it all together, Josh has been in the gaming sphere for at least a decade, if not more. And he actually was the original artist and graphic designer on the original Endeavor. Okay. So fast forward, um, it became and and is one of Helena's. And so it was really Helena who was um, knowing that if she ever had the opportunity to republish and when uh, the opportunity arose, um, she said, hey, I have a set of talents I bring to the table. You have a set of talents you bring to the table. Would you be interested in working on this project with me? And I was, I mean, aside from being a fantastic person and uh, amazing gamer and, you know, obviously driven in the creation of Kids Table Board Gaming, um, I would have been a fool to say no, even though I will tell you that my knowledge of Endeavor at that point in time was very surface level. Okay. I said yes more to Helena than I did to Endeavor. Um because her and Josh just insinuated themselves into my personal and gaming life uh so quickly and with such positive force. Um I, I just knew I wanted to be a part of it. So you know after six months to a year of planning and plotting and orchestrating um, you know, the Kickstarter launched and, you know, the rest is kind of Kickstarter history um, where me with my three previous small games and Helena with her other company that had an entirely different focus uh, put together a project that I think um, we can reasonably argue resonated well on many, many gamers radars. I, I think so. I think so. I mean, like I like I said, we um, this was actually before we had met. So, yeah. you know, we're we're um, I, I'll be up front. We kickstarted it. We were a backer. We went, I went for the Commodore level. I went, I, I went, I was like, let's go all in. This looks really cool. I had never, I've never even played when we played Endeavor at Origins. That was the first time I played it. I had never played the older version, but it was a theme and it was a game that looked really interesting. And I liked your presentation of the Kickstarter. I liked everything you guys were showing. I liked all the stretch goals. The, Everything you were showing for the game was just like, this looks cool. I want to be a part of this, and I got to play this. And when when you when we got an opportunity, like I said, to play it at Origins, I was both Kim and I were both just like, wow, this is this is really cool. We both had yeah, a good time. it's um, <laughs> you know, there's a million podcasts, and a lot of them look back at older games, and um, well, not a ton, a, a number do, and some games hold up and some don't. 
And I think one of the, you know, comments that people have made about Endeavor is that it doesn't feel like a decade old game. Um, And I I think that's just a testament to the system that Jarrett and Carl created, how tight it is, the story it tells, and um, how adding on the the exploits, which I'm not sure if you played with exploits. I know um, when it's a first game, I don't necessarily push those on people. Don't think we did. I don't think we did. Okay, so, but um, how the exploits, which you'll play with eventually, just kind of sink right into the experience. Yeah. Um, and just and just they add a layer of depth and complexity. But like you just said, you had a pretty full-bodied experience even without them. So you you know now you have more to come, more to look forward to. And that's that's one thing, and that I've always kind of done on my, on the podcast here is just talk about what I'm playing. And when I go down to my local game store. I'm not necessarily playing all the latest and greatest games. I have a lot of friends down there who have been gaming for many, many years. They have very large collections Mm -hmm. and they bring games that you can't even find in a lot of your friendly local game stores anymore. And some of those games when we sit down and play them and I'm like, Oh my God, this is awesome. I want to buy this. Oh, you can't. It's pretty much out of print and everything. You know, and it's just like, (laughs) Oh no, don't bring these games. If I can't buy it, Mm -hmm. because there, there are so many good old games that I've never played um, because there's just so many games out there. <laughs> yep. The flood does not stop. And to your question, you know, that's also something I ask myself about who I want to be um, in the industry. You know, do I want to be um, a days of wonder that bangs out one amazing project per year? Right. Or do I want to be a company that's putting out 10, 15 games a year? That question I can also say I've not answered yet. Um, I feel like in the mo- well, I feel like in the modern environment, um, it's very difficult to survive if you're putting out one game a year, especially if it's a small game. Yeah. Um, you know, I think there's a happy medium in there that I'd like to reach. Um, and also where the games that are coming out on a regular basis are of different. Um, so that when someone comes to visit the booth at Origins or Gen Con or Essen or Pax Unplugged, um, we do have something that they can walk away happy with their right. play style or the story they're interested in playing or whatever the case may be. So I saw one of the things on your website, you actually take pitches of games. Yeah, absolutely. So when you go to like origins or Gen Con and stuff, how many games normally get pitched to you? Do you set up, do you set up like interviews and do you set up times to meet with people? Yeah. So um, I do set up times to meet with people. I will say, and I, and I preface pretty much every interview with this, that my queue is very long. I have I have a contractual queue of games where contracts have been signed and the clock is ticking. I have a secondary queue of games that I will sign as soon as I kick a game out. Okay. So um, as soon as Artemis Project is out the door, there is a game that is ready to take the next spot in the queue. And then I have a list of tertiary games that um, are sort of like vying for a potential position. Um, to be honest, though, um, I did walk away from Origins with six prototypes. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so none of which, I will be frank, none of which have seen table time. I had every hope and intention of getting these prototypes to the table. But uh, shortly after Origins, um, I, I've, been, um, I've been a little ill. My father passed away, so that was that trip to Florida we spoke of before yeah, we started. Sorry, uh, yeah, sorry, definitely sorry to hear about that. Thank you, I appreciate that. Um, long story short, a lot of real life things consumed me that um, has has not facilitated getting games to the table. So um, there is, to be fair, there is one prototype I assessed um, that 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 has had table time. I forgot about that. That um, I actually know I'm not going to move forward on. I'll allow that to remain nameless. I've not spoken with the designer yet. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, I, I'll always, I'll always try. Um, I'm, you know, I wish I had more time in the day. I wish I had more money to kick projects out because that's another thing. Um, my goal eventually is not to be a Kickstarter company, um, with no disrespect to those that choose to use Kickstarter as their, as their model. Like I said, TMG is one of my publishing idols, mm-hmm. you know, Kickstarter, it pretty much is their model. Um, and they do. They have it down to a science. They do an amazing job. And Stronghold is also a big inspiration to me. And Stephen has only ever used Kickstarter for one project, and that yep. was a project that was, um, um, from a component standpoint, a departure from things that he typically does. Yeah. 
So I would say if I could look at where I want to be in the not too distant future, I would say I'd like to put the projects that need to be on Kickstarter on Kickstarter, larger projects, things that are headed to Kickstarter, like Artemis Project, like Endangered. Um, if those see success, smaller projects, things that are the size of Unreal Estate, things that are the size of Stroop, I'd like to see those go the more traditional publishing route. Right. Um, um, I'm still figuring it out myself is what it comes down to. <laughs> I, you know, Endeavor was amazing. Um, it had fantastic results. It definitely is, is a project that will, um, you know, keep us moving ahead for years to come. But it's also it also has a long tail. I mean, it was a big project, but it was also a really costly project. So the numbers that you see on the Kickstarter screen are not necessarily no, not necessarily not, not even the right words. Bear no relation to um, being able to reinvest in the company right. and, and and keep doing things. You know, big projects cost big bucks. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's having a number of those that continue to resonate that will. Uh, put the fuel in the engine and allow us to to depart from Kickstarter when when we'd like to. So we've talked about Endeavor a couple of times, and yeah. any expansions in the works for Endeavor? Well, you know, we definitely got that question many many times as part of the Kickstarter. <laughs> what I can say, I think, without breaking any confidences, <laughs> is that there is nothing officially planned at this time. Okay. However. One of the reasons that we did Endeavor the way we did it is because Jared and Carl came up with the exploits, which were, for all intents and purposes, expansion content. They are something that plugged into the base game pretty much seamlessly and had, in another gaming universe where Z-Man kept publishing Endeavor, kept it in stock and alive, um, that might have been content that had seen the light of day. Okay. Um, but instead, it saw the light of day with with our iteration of Endeavor Age of Sail. Um, there were many requests for solo play, for an, and I'm going to mess up this word, but an automa. Um, there's other regions of the world that aren't represented on the Endeavor map. So is there room for expansion content? Is there design space for expansion content? Absolutely 100% there is. Um, where that is on the um, gaming publishing schedule, um, is yet to be determined. You know, Helena has, I mean, she's killing it with uh, Rec Raiders right now on Kickstarter. So she has the, her other entity, KT, um, Kids Table Board Gaming. She has other projects in the queue for Burt Island Games. And I, of course, have the projects that I already have in process with Grand Gamers Guild. So, so, so yes, maybe. Your official so, answer is yes, maybe. So, so you're a little busy with everything, and we'll get back to that one in a little bit. <laughs> Yes. No, that then that is the hope. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's a fantastic game. If we can come up with quality content that serves the game in the same way that the exploits do, then there is every reason to put it out there. Every yep. reason. Sounds good. So since you're actually looking at a lot of these prototypes and everything, how much do you get involved with the whole design process? Do you are you are you heavily involved? Do you just play test and let the design and you, you know, and you say maybe fix a couple of things here and there. Do you kind of like dive deep into development? Sure. What, what, what's your, so, what do you do in regards to that? Well, okay. So way back when, when I was uh, at the beginning of figuring out where I wanted my place to be in this industry, <laughs> and that, you know, every day is a new, new question. Um, I actually designed two games. Um, one was terribly terrible and it was, uh, it was a game based on attending a convention and trying to complete an itinerary. Um, okay. The I kind of like, like it. That's actually a neat concept. That sounds actually well, there cool. Were, there were two companies that did something similar back in 2012 or 2013. I don't remember the companies. I don't remember the names of the games. But a game like that did see the light of day. And I'm, I, I, Without even having played them, I know they were better than what I did. And then I actually designed a um, simple card-based time travel game for uh, Dice Hate Me Games 54 Card Game Challenge, which was okay. It was okay. Um, I'll, that's all I'll say about that. Um, what <laughs> give, I learned, yourself, give yourself a little more credit. It was probably good. Fair enough. <laughs> I'm not a designer. I do not have, quite frankly, the grit that it takes to conceive a game, prototype it out, bring it to the table, and then reiterate and reiterate and reiterate. That is a skill set 
that I literally do not have the patience for. Mm-hmm. Um, moving to the next stage of development, um, when I'm looking at a prototype, uh, there has to be something in the game that hooks me. I mean, at the end of the day, this may sound egotistical. It may sound arrogant. I guess those are kind of overlapping. But the game has to resonate with me. It's my time. It's my money. It's my effort that is going to pull the pieces together to get it to the table. Right. Um, and while, you know, different strokes for different folks, there are all sorts of different games for different people. I guess you could say if there is a commonality between the games that I've published, it's that I have had an amazing experience with that prototype, that designer, that play experience. Okay. Um, now beyond that, uh, I really don't do the hardcore development. Once the game passes my litmus test, I then pass it on to Josh Capel. Uh, who I see a good couple times a year, whether it's at a convention or I make a trip to Toronto or he comes to Grand Rapids. And then we sit down, we play the prototypes. And, you know, we want to work on projects that we want to work on. And just because a game sings to me um, doesn't mean it's going to see the light of day. Like I said, I'm the first litmus test. Um, it also has to be a project that the people that work for me want to work on. We all need to be able to wave the flag and champion the game. Right. Um, and so there have been prototypes that I've said, hey, I kind of dig this. And then I put them into Josh's hands and he's like, ah, this is a game, but I don't think this is a guild game. Um, and it took me a while to get that, actually. And then there was a prototype that I assessed and I said, yeah, this is a good game, but this is not a guild game. Right. Um, and then there's other prototypes that we've played that... He just kind of goes, you know, I, I get that you like this, but I don't know how I'm going to help you develop it. And I don't want to force him to work on a project that is going to stall his engine. I need him to be as excited about it as I am. You know what I mean? Um, oh, and, and then, definitely. Yeah. And while he's my lead developer, I have a small cadre of local gamers and friends who I also recognize that just because a game doesn't sing to me, doesn't mean it's not a great game and my judgment is not the be all end all and in fact one of the games that's going to be forthcoming that um i've mentioned in a few places and actually play tested with the tantrum house crew uh, at origins is a game called uh currently it's called Garinto. it had a different name um that i won't even refer to because i just don't want anybody to remember it it's we're not using it so <laughs> but um and that was a game that my web developer at the time found oh wow and she was in town for a convention and she says, Hey, I think you're going to like this. And she, um, uh, described it to me. And I was, I was salivating for this game just by the description. And by the time we played it, I was like, Oh my gosh, yes, this, there is absolutely no question. This game is screaming publish me. And, um, and, uh, and so we're in process on that one too. For all intents and purposes, the development on that is 90% done. Mm-hmm. Um, it came to us very fully formed. It didn't really need um, a ton of tweaking, but my web developer actually took the onus on herself, um, which, by the way, let's say her name out loud. Her name is Heather Newton. Um, she's no longer my web developer, but she was an integral part of getting Grand Gamers Guild off, off the ground, and I'm forever indebted to her. Cool. And um, she spent a lot of time with the game, put some amazing mechanisms in place that took it from amazing to sublime in my opinion and those are things that will carry forward when when we move forward with Garinto. uh so yeah um I'm, i forget your actual question oh you asked me my role and and what i and and where i plug myself in yeah um but to be fair you know i mean i've spent a lot of time with artemis project i spent a lot of time with endangered i've also been lucky to have designers who are very very involved none of them thank goodness, have been in it just for the paycheck. They've been in it because we have a mutual respect for one another. Um, we've They've been in it because they're super excited about their games. And they've been in it, I think, in part because I want them involved. And I trust their instincts. Um, they've gotten it far enough to the point where I was interested. And um, every so often I'll go, oh, wait, I have an idea. And I'll throw it out to them. And we'll chat it out. And sometimes they incorporate it and sometimes they don't. And there are some things that are part of 
Artemis Project and Endangered and, you know, looking backwards, Pocket Ops and, and on real estate, that were specific suggestions that came to me in a moment of insight that became part of the game. But um, I would say I more inject dribs and drabs that may or may not become part of the final product more than I'm, like I said, on the ground, in the dirt, reiterating and 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 doing those slow developmental steps yeah, to uh, yeah. put the, to put the polish on. And and I think there's I think there's a lot of that in the gaming industry. I mean, even you even get that with a lot of content creators. You know, I mean, I've been doing the podcast for five years. We started doing video now, and like I had mentioned before, we started doing the podcast. I'd always wanted to do video, so that's kind of what led me into doing a lot of this stuff. I mean, even though I work in IT, I do have a communication degree, so that kind of helps lead me to being able to do some of this other stuff that I do with this. And I mean, one of the things that I am kind of we're slowly evolving and changing, you know, the whole channel, our whole website, and everything, and I think one of the things I'm kind of maybe trying to turn and evolve my podcast into is more of an interview show because mm-hmm. I just like sitting around talking to people a lot more than me just sitting there only just talking about some of the games I'm playing. I mean, yeah, I can do that, but mm-hmm. getting to interview people like you and a lot of the other people that I've interviewed, that is where I'm finding a lot more interesting content coming out of, and it's just more fun to be able to do something like that. I agree. For me, I'll play almost any game. Yep, I'm, but I, me, I agree a hundred percent. I will. I will do the same. Although there may be there may be some games by Haber or something I may have to pass on. Some some kids. <laughs> Fair enough. So, but for me, <laughs> I mean, as much as I want the game to be great, it really is crystallized by the people at the table with me. Right. Yep. You know, I mean, even good friends can make a bad game into a great experience. I'm not saying they're making it into a great game. Yes. But but they make it into a great experience, and at the very least, you walk away with a story to tell. And uh, I think stories are important, too. Oh, definitely, definitely. And there have been a lot of times where we've been down at the local game store. We're playing a game, and all of us are just like, okay, we're having a good time just because we're kind of hanging out together. But what we're playing, this, this kind of sucks right now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Not everything's a gem to everybody, you know? Oh, I agree with that. I agree with that 100%. That's the reason why, like, when we do a lot of our playthroughs with our videos – I struggle, and a lot of people say, you know, you have to do reviews, you have to say review, and I kind of struggle with giving review because I kind of feel my thought behind my thought process behind us doing full playthroughs of games is I want people to be able to see. I try to do a tutorial of the game and then a full playthrough, and then we'll give our thoughts at the end. But I want people to see how the game plays. I want them to see what type of mechanics are involved, what we're actually doing, what type of interactions we're having, and stuff. Um, I want the game to kind of be the focus. Not my not my thoughts, because even if you find a reviewer or somebody that you, you know, you're kind of like you have the same kind of likes and dislikes, there could still be that one hidden gem that they dislike that you may love. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so, and so that's why I'm like, that's where I struggle. And people have always, you know, there have been a lot of other content creators that have told me, you know, you got to do reviews. You gotta do reviews. And I'm like, I kind of just, just struggle with that whole with that whole review thing, I'm like, uh, I'll give my thoughts, but you know what? You've watched me play it, try the game yourself. And then you, you know, you decide whether you want to spend your money on it or not. Absolutely. So what are the other things that you're involved in? I mean, you got the grand gamers guild, you got that gaming Academy where you're doing mm-hmm. all your stuff. You were also involved in the unpub Midwest. Yeah. How did you get involved with that? And are you still involved with it? So I am not involved with Unpub Midwest anymore. Um, just to fast forward to where we're at, um, <laughs> you know, you give things a shot and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. It was, I mean, as projects go, as events go, it, it, for a first year event, it went off very well. I think the attendees were, were happy. I think the designers were happy. What Unpub has decided to do, um, the, the Unpub organization, is they're actually going to house themselves um, as a part of Grand Con this year. Uh, which is our local uh, gaming convention that I was involved in way back when. Mm-hmm. Um, how that's going to manifest exactly, I'm not entirely sure because, again, I'm not, I'm not directly involved. But um, but how I got involved with it is, so I think it was my second year at Origins that I played uh, Dice Hate Me Games' very first game, Carnival, and became um, acquaintances and then friends with Chris Kirkman, who, of course, has gone to have success with the uh, Dice Hate Me Games titles and then a part of uh, 
greater than games. And mm-hmm. now Chris is, you know, the, you know, the state of games podcast. And then, um, I want to say, and I, I could be misremembering, but I think I became acquainted with Daryl through Chris. Um, and then of course, when I was kicking off the grand gamers guild, I actually, uh, attended on pub and had a fantastic time. And, uh, that was where it was Unpub seven that we announced on pub Midwest. And, um, you know, and then we gave it a shot, but Unpub is a nonprofit organization and having a large satellite event that was apart from anything else that was going on was quite frankly, very costly. And it just seemed that a better direction to go would be to have it be housed as a part of, uh, as a part of the other gaming convention that takes place in the area. So Daryl and I chatted about it and, uh, you know, this might be giving myself a little too much credit, but, you know, basically said, hey, man, you do what you need to do. You have my blessing. And then um, and then they went ahead with it. So cool. it was a fantastic event. I would uh, absolutely do it again if uh, the opportunity arises. But they've just chosen to go in that direction and uh, more power to them. I hope nice. I hope it uh, I hope it serves the designers um, the way that it's supposed to. Yeah, I know. I was at a, a local convention. It's um, Cleveland Concoction here. Um, it's held out in Aurora, I think, every year. And there was like a small protospiel that um, there's a couple of friends that I have that kind of put this thing together. And they had a bunch of, you know, designers there playtesting their games and everything. And then I took out, you know, my cameras and some of my streaming gear. And, you know, I was talking to the one guy and I was like, you know, if you have some designers that would like to possibly stream some of their stuff, I go, let's play through some games on Twitch, you know? Mm -hmm. So I set up, you know, in one of the back rooms and the lighting was horrible. The audio wasn't the world's best and everything like that, you know, but it was, we kind of just kind of just try, it was the first time we tried to stream from this, you know, convention. Um, And we kind of just did everything kind of on the fly. And, you know, some of the videos turned out kind of cool and I played some really interesting games. Um, I mean, so that was kind of cool. And I kind of liked working with some of the designers and seeing, you know, some of the early stuff, you know, and, and that means they have a chance to, you know, get that stuff out there. Yeah, it's definitely a ton of fun seeing things even before they're signed with a publisher. Yeah. I mean, whether I'm personally interested in it or not, um, providing suggestions, helping them hone it, and then, you know, eventually running into them again and, and having them seen, uh, hit, hit, hit their next stages, right. um, whatever those may be. Yeah, it's a ton of fun. I actually would really, really love – I was unable to attend on pub this year. But uh, if I have my druthers, I will absolutely uh, make it out to uh, Maryland uh, for Unpub Nine. Cool. Yeah, I, that was that was the first time I've really been at a place where there was a lot of well, I mean, besides Gen Con and Origins and stuff like that. And I normally don't get a chance to go into much to those Unpub rooms that they have in those. Well, because this mm-hmm. year at Origins, I just had so many interviews set up; it was just completely. <laughs> you were insane. running around like a madman. That was, yeah, it was it was a little crazy. I think. For what for a few minutes, I was like, I might have bit off more than I can chew, but we pulled it off, and we were exhausted when it was done and over with. But you credit did. to you and your and Kim for really yes. working together to accomplish it all. Because well, I think if you had to do it yourself, it, you might have might have bitten off more than you. Could chew. I, oh, if I if I would have attempted to do it myself, it would have been more than I could chew, and definitely, um, you know, her picking up the camera and um, doing a lot of the work that she did for me was was a huge huge help because there was mm-hmm. no way I could have done some of that stuff myself. So we've talked a lot about Grand Gamers Guild, all the other stuff that you do. Let's talk a little bit about gaming here for a few minutes. Sure. What are some of your early memories and stuff of gaming? Like, you know, what we're we're close to the same age. I'm mm-hmm. I get to say I am a little older. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I, not at the age I'm at, not that I like to say that. that You're young at heart. You're young at heart. <laughs> but, you know, what did, what are some of your early memories of gaming? You know, like when, when you were younger, did, were you a big D and D fan or, you know, what, what, what did you play when you were younger? Sure. So early, early on, um, when I was, you know, four five, six years old, the memories I have of gaming are with my mom. We used to play, um, one game called Haunted Mansion and another okay. game called greed and i'm sure they're abysmal games but they did us well um my mom was also this is gonna come out sounding odd (laughs) a big gambler she's not a big gambler but she always played in those small stakes games of rummy and um poker with her friends you know she had a poker night oh um 
That's kind of cool. So, uh, <laughs> and she also played Mahjong. So, you know, it, it's kind of like when I look back, gaming really was a part of my family life, um, much more than I ever realized it. And so, you know, she taught me blackjack and AC Ducey and Kings in the Corner and games like that. Never really was a poker or rummy player, but I always knew she did it. And then around my early to mid-teens, I was a big D&D player, had a very good buddy who and in AD&D. And uh, then college hit and all social life kind of came to a halt, dedicated to my studies. I lost track of gaming and television and reading for pleasure and all the things that a human does to be, <laughs> you know, take joy in life and be well-rounded. Yes. And um, then when I established a real life with my, I was also a, an enthusiastic gamer, actually ran a D&D game for, uh, this was third edition now for eight years. Oh, wow. And the reason is because I used to be a mystery. And way back when there were Wizards of the Coast stores in the malls, I was a Wizards of the Coast mystery shopper. And so pretty much every month they paid me to go aim. And so I bought every D&D source book that was out there. Um, and then eventually had bought so many that there weren't any more to buy. And eventually just <laughs> went in and had to ask, I you know, Tell me about a board game. And they um, handed me Catan. And then the world exploded. And now <laughs> here we are. Pardon me, I'm going to cough one second. Okay. <clears throat> oh, sorry about that. That's uh, that's me getting over over being ill. <clears throat> yeah, that's that's been going around. I hear a lot of people like that at work. And I'm like, just stay away. I don't want that. Yep, it's, yep, yep. It, I, don't, I don't like summer colds. <laughs> so, yes, I guess I, I have been gaming for a really long time. Um. Uh, and but for the past decade, it really has been board games uh, more than role play games. Just never yeah, could had, pick up the time commitment to get back in. And, and and we had talked a little bit about Gloomhaven a little bit ago, and mm -hmm. a, probably about a year, year and a half ago, I had tried to get back into Pathfinder because, of course, you know, growing up and you know, I, I had gotten into D and D at like the age of twelve or whatever. You know, found it at the one bookstore, and I was like, what is this? Didn't know what the heck it was. Learned how to play it. Taught all my friends. Everybody's hooked on the game. That's all we did all summer long. Um, uh -huh. But it's I tried to get into Pathfinder probably about a year and a half ago because I was playing. I ran um, the Pathfinder Adventure card game down at my local game store for probably about three years. We played mm -hmm. through um, a bunch of the different – we played through all the society stuff for, like, the first three sets. Um, and I was like, I, I wanted to get back into do a little bit of role-playing because some of the guys that – played the card game, did the Pathfinder game, and I knew them, and I was like, I go, I kind of like to hang out with these guys and see see what the role-playing is, and I, I did some Pathfinder for a little bit, but I found myself, every time I was playing Pathfinder, it was on the same night that we were doing board games down at the local mm -hmm. game store, and I saw myself playing Pathfinder, but then looking over at the other people playing a board game, and I was like, I, I, I wanted to play that one. You guys... <laughs> Wait, can you wait until Thursday? Because this was, you know, this might have been on a Monday. Can you wait until Thursday? Maybe play that because uh, I want to play that too. And then it was just like, finally, I was like, guys, I go, I got to choose. I can't do Pathfinder and board games because all I want to do is play board games. So it's just, every time I go down to the to the local game store, it's all I do now is board games. I, I hear you. I hear you. It's, uh, it's, it's a difficult choice. It's like Sophie's choice. Maybe not quite that dramatic. But it, but it, but I, I do, I do like role playing, and I do like. You know, I really liked playing Pathfinder. It was really fun getting back into it for the time that, you know, I did get back into mm -hmm. it. I was having a really good time playing it. Um, But what do you have? Do you have a normal gaming group that you meet up with like weekly, you know, up there in Michigan? You know, what's, what's no, your gaming, I wish I did. gaming scene, um, scene like up there? <laughs> um, Oh, well, the gaming scene is huge. I mean, we are um, definitely a hub of activity. Um, That meets twice a month of those um of course convention season makes that difficult um yeah, there's a number of groups that meet pretty regularly a recent group that's been established at barnes and noble now meets on wednesday nights which is kind of funny because i actually started a gaming group of years ago that eventually went by the wayside as as many things do and uh things change direction um we have more gaming stores around than I, I'm kind of shocked how many Grand Rapids can support. Okay. Um, but yeah, honestly, there are so many groups and so much activity that you could probably go to a gaming out of the week if you wanted to. Oh, wow. But um, 
but the, my evenings are typically taken up by uh, by family stuff. So I do some I do some local activities. There's a uh, place locally called the Comic Signal. I actually go in there um, this coming Saturday night uh, to do a, a guild night. Um, try to pop in at some of the uh, Grand Rapids is a big beer city, so I try to pop in at some of the local breweries that uh, have game nights and and facilitate gaming there. Um, there's a local cafe that's had me in. So yeah, there, there's tons of gaming going on here. Tons. Cool. And I, and I think, cause I mean, I'm just, um, you know, West of Cleveland. Mm-hmm. So we were not that far away. And I think it's just the area that we live in. I think even during the summer, you know, there's, there's activity down at the local game store, but you know, especially mm-hmm. in the winter when there's really nothing else you can do, you just go down to the local game yep. store and hang out, you know, and it's, and it, my dad looks at my, you know, my family looks at me still and they're just like, you know, I've been doing this since I was a kid. You know, when they would drive me down to play D&D down at the local hobby shop, you mm-hmm. know, and, you know, my parents just kind of shake their head and look at me. What are you still doing? You're you're almost 50 <laughs> years old now. What the hell are you doing? <laughs> if only they knew the joy. It's it's well, it's kind of like which kind of like what you said, you know, we played. A lot of games growing up, you know, they might not have been what we play now, but, you know, back then I used to play a lot of card games with my grandmother, a lot of games with my mom, you know, with, you know, with my mom and stuff like that. Um, So, yeah, it's it sounds like how you grew up. I kind of grew up playing a lot of those same things, Mm -hmm. you know, and whenever we'd go to the store when I was younger, I was always getting board games. I have a ton of board games from the 70s down in my parents basement still. That must be amazing. It's it, there. There are some good ones. The best one I have over here with me, which is Dark Tower, still. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> cool. So, what's what's been hitting your table lately? What have you been playing lately? We've talked about a lot of other things. Let's talk about what we're playing now. Sure. So, uh, most recently, I have uh, I've played uh, quite a number of games of Ion, which, if my memory serves, is from Genius Games, it's a okay. Sushi Go style. In this game, because of the scientific and educational twist, you're actually trying to form compounds, and I hope I'm using the scientific terms correctly, that essentially have no charge. So you need to find an element that has a positive charge, an element that has a negative charge, and put them together to form a compound that has no charge. And um, if you're familiar with your typical drafting game, um, it's pick a card and pass, and so you... You kind of watch what other people for, and there are radioactive elements, and there are, I think it's transitional elements that throw some extra twist into the game. So that's been, my kids seem to really enjoy that. And um, even if I don't love a game, if I can get to the table with it with my kids, then it's going to hit the table. Um, other than that, I did just get Rec Raiders from my uh, compatriots at Kids Table Board Gaming, and that is a uh, sort of a set collection bluffing deduction game where you play as uh, you are you are the phantoms trying to scare away the the, the ghost hunters uh, by playing different types of scares and some can be played up and publicly and some complete be played down and they may or may not be legit and eventually you uh, you do what's called booing a room trying to scare the way the ghost hunter uh, you reveal everything and then you either collect a ghost hunter and his his or her accoutrements um, for endgame scoring, or you've, uh, you know, been foolishly duped into thinking that the elements are, are there and uh, and you've sort of uh, revealed things for other people. So yeah, those, those are the two that have been hitting uh, most frequently. And then like we said, tomorrow I'm actually getting a Gloomhaven tutorial and I'm about to go down that very enticing rabbit hole. Well, that and... One of the things that we really haven't discussed too much that I think we need to talk about definitely before we're we're done with our conversation here is your next Kickstarter because we're yeah. actually we're actually going to be holding off on publishing this till we're a little closer to your Kickstarter for um, yeah. a little box that you just actually I think received today that is That's still prototype. that is still unopened. <laughs> I know, I know. Oh, you 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 got to imagine how do I have the willpower, right? I was gonna. I'm, so yeah, the I'm Artemis surprised project. you didn't. I'm surprised you didn't just text me early and be like, "Yeah, we're passing tonight. We gotta, we gotta <laughs> reschedule. We gotta reschedule. I gotta open this." <laughs> no, um, yeah, Artemis project is set to Kickstarter September 12th. Um, okay. and it is a um, 
what I refer to as a dice displacement game and engine builder. Um, so basically you do roll your dice, you do put them on the board, but it is a little bit mean. It's not overtly mean. It's not a zero sum where I do something and it's totally undone everything you've worked so hard to complete. Uh, what it is though, is that there are multiple stations around the entire board and they all function differently, um, in the terms of the way your dice behave at that station. And for instance, at the stations where you gather, um, uh, minerals to help build your structures that has a function where the the higher number on the die i place means more um more minerals for me to take however lower numbers take priority so okay. if there's only so many um minerals available in a round your dice and and and, and joe schmo's dice and jill schmo's dice can easily edge out a higher number meaning that just because I lay a six down there doesn't mean I'm getting six. It means that if you will lay a one and Joe lays a two and Jill lays a four, all of those start to take precedence and begin to slowly edge me out. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just one example of how the dice function at that part. Um, there is an expedition element where you place your dice saying you're going on an expedition and it's almost sort of co-op, but whoever places the higher die there while you need each other to complete the expedition there are multiple rewards, and whoever places the higher die there gets to claim the reward first. Hmm, so that's interesting. Um, so you're helping each other, but you might be undoing each other out of a, um, a coveted prize. And then there's another station where you train your workers to go from one profession to another so that they have a different function in the game. And um, then there's a place where you recruit workers from, and the number of workers you recruit is based on the number on your, on your die. So you're going to roll your dice, you're going to place them in different places and they're all going to interact with the other players die in different ways, depending on where they're at. And so you hear about dice placement games. Oh, well, low numbers stink or this, that, and the other, but that's not the case here. You can use your dice at different points on all the different uh, spots to do what you want them to do in different ways. So are the dice normal six-sided dice, and do they have numbers, or do they have um, – are they specialty dice? Are they basically with different no, symbols? No, right now we're – functionally speaking, mechanically speaking, they are D6s, and they are right. just going to have numbers on them. Okay. Um, we've discussed the idea of doing some custom dice, and as much as people like custom dice, at the end of the day, the dice need to serve the game. And right. if putting a um, snappy symbol on them is going to undermine the gameplay – then uh, that's a direction we're probably not going to go. Now, we might still be able to replace one symbol um, to, to add some flair and give people a special part of the product. But at the same time, um, as, a, as a part of an overall product, custom dice are kind of expensive, and that's where stretch goals come in. So we'll see uh, where we start and where we end up at and if, uh, and if custom dice can become a part of the project or not. How many players is um, Artist Project going to be able to play uh, officially right now two to four, but we have play tested it uh, extensively at five players. And quite frankly, the game can support it, but having a fifth player adds in cost, and yep. we're still small. And again, going back to the earlier part of our conversation, this is why we use Kickstarter. And I can say um, with 100% certainty that having the player will be part of the Kickstarter. So what about solo play? Is there any is there any talk about a stretch goal for solo playability? I have talked to the designers about solo play. Uh, thus far, there is not um, a working solo play okay. uh, rule set. And, and if there, I was going to say, and if there isn't, sometimes it's good to not force one in. As exactly. Well. <laughs> I, I'm not a fan. You know, I, I want our games to service as wide a, a customer base as possible. Obviously, right. you, you sell more stuff. That's why we're in business, right? We love games, but we're selling them, right? Um, but yeah, I'm not going to fit a square peg into a round hole. Yeah. And um, in my mind, it, it would be difficult to see how solo play is possible. But um but I, I have asked, the, it's funny, I literally said to the designers just last week, I said, this question will be asked. Have you given it thought? And they said, not really. I said, well, do me a favor, wrap your head around it. Doesn't mean we have to do it now. Yep. But we can visit in the future. But, um, you know, think on it. 
And um, thus far, we don't have a conclusion, but that's okay. Yeah. I, I'm, you know, maybe one day um, we'll, we'll have a game that really does function well for solo play. And if Artemis Project is not it, then that's okay. Like I said, that is completely fine. Sometimes, sometimes you can tell when some of the solo plays are kind of just forced into a game and they really mm-hmm. don't. The game really wasn't designed for it, and you can. And it, when it's quite obvious, it's it's just not good. But then there's, you know, there there are a lot of people out there. I mean, I'm in a couple of different Facebook groups, you know, that just deal with nothing but solo play. Yeah, and they are very popular. I mean, solo mm-hmm. play is something, you know. Um, I play the Seventh Continent solo. Yesterday, sure. I was playing. Um, I was playing Z-Man's new game, that House of Danger, I think it is, that Choose Your Own Adventure. I did oh, okay. a stream. I did a stream for that solo last night. I just played through the first chapter because I didn't want to spoil the whole thing, but I wanted to, you know, to show people, you know, people who weren't familiar with, you know, Choose Your Own Adventure type stuff, what mm-hmm. what this is all, what this is involved with, and they they had an interesting twist there to the Choose Your Own Adventure stuff. Yeah, there's definitely no denying, uh, probably over the past two years at least, if not longer. That the solo contingent has uh, has uh, their voices become louder, yeah, and it's oh, yeah. definitely not something we're ignoring. Uh, just something yeah. that you know, right product, right time. All right, I think we've covered everything on my question list that we have here. Excellent. Anything else that you can think of that you want to talk about? Yeah, I mean, I guess real quick, let me just kind of give my bona fides. Um, sure. If you're interested in keeping up with the guild, I sure would appreciate you visiting GrandGamersGuild.com and signing up for our newsletter. It's definitely the place where we drop the most information and where we drop it first. Mm-hmm. Um, we're on Facebook at Grand Gamers Guild, um, you know, Facebook.com slash Grand Gamers Guild. Like us there. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Grand Gamers Guild, but you drop all the vowels. So it, there's no vowels in it because it was literally one letter too much for, uh, for me to spell the whole thing out. So I had to figure out where to sacrifice. Um, and then really was- like... I kind of like that idea of dropping the vowels because I had to with with what I'm playing now. Mm-hmm. I had to drop a letter as well, so it's what I'm playing now. Yep. And yep. I told my uh, wife, I was like, I don't know if I like that really, but I was. Right. I always say you have to drop a G in the middle. Uh huh. <laughs> um, and then the only other thing is just you know keep an eye for the Kickstarter. Like I said, we're aiming for September 12th. Okay. Uh, you know there are going to be things that are Kickstarter exclusive. Um, we realize that at this point the Kickstarter audience is. Um, you know, they're joining us on a journey. It's not just about the game. They do want the product, but they, they want a product that we've built for them. Um, something that is a thing apart from what might hit the store shelves. And there will be things that are, you know, part of the Kickstarter that won't make it onto the open market, at least as in the box content. It might make it there eventually as part of an expansion or as part of a promo that people will have to pay for, yeah. but not not in the box content. Um, and then just please be there on day one, helping us, uh, you know, have a really strong launch. That's all I'd ask. Cool. Well, I this game you... deserves it. This game deserves it. I mean, obviously, you'd expect me to say that, but <laughs> I, I am super excited about the future of the guild. And once again, hearkening back to what I said, hoping that the folks who threw their support behind us on the smaller, lighter titles are willing to take that next step with us. Why well, I have a feeling you already have a good following from Endeavor Age of Sale. Uh, That's so very true. Probably, Endeavor setting is among us foundation. I, I think so. So I think a lot of people, you're going to get some repeat customers there. I wish you all the luck. Um, we're going to definitely release this podcast probably on Sunday the 9th. So we'll get right, this cool. released right before um, your Kickstarter goes live. So everybody will hear everything that we've talked about right before then. Um, but other than that, Mark, I would definitely like to thank you for being on the show. It was great meeting you at Origins. Thank you. I know that was great. It was, it was a lot of fun. We had great, like I said, we had a great time playing Endeavor. It was really cool getting to see all of the different stuff at your booth. Um, but I think that will be it for this evening. Again, thank you very much for being with us and everybody. We will be back in a little bit with the rest of the show. Thanks for joining us. Hey gamers, this is Joe. And hopefully you enjoyed the interview that we did with Mark. I really enjoyed talking to him. I thought it was a great conversation we had, and we really enjoyed playing Endeavor while we were down at Origins. Uh, Since then, Mark and I have been chatting on Facebook and everything, and it appears that we will be going to PAX Unplugged as well as he will be, and uh, we're already trying to schedule some time with him to check out the Artemis Project 
and actually see how that game plays. I really can't wait to see how that one um, turns out and check that out from some of the screenshots and stuff that I've seen. So far, the game looks really good, and hopefully they have a very successful Kickstarter with that one. Uh, but until next week, everybody, you know what to do. Send me some emails. Let me know what you're playing now. You can send those emails to what I'm playing now at gmail.com. You can also join us in some conversations over on Board Game Geek. We do have a guild over there, guild number 2440. On Twitter and Instagram, follow us at what I'm playing now. Don't forget to drop the G like I always say. On Twitch, you can subscribe to us there at twitch.tv slash what I'm playing now, as well as YouTube, youtube.com slash what I'm playing now. But everybody, until next week, you have a great week gaming, and don't forget to let me know what you're playing now. Until then, everybody, have a great week gaming, and we will see you later. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye.